Another Leaders Performance Podcast just getting underway. Hello, my name's David Cushnan, Head of Content here at Leaders. Alongside me at Leaders HQ is John Porch, at Lead Writer, Leaders Performance Institute. John, hello. Hello, David. How's it going? It's going rather well, and I've been cheered by uh, the notes in front of me, which says that you're going to tell us about another archive edition of the podcast. That's right, David. Another blast from the past. This time we're going back to New York City, 2015, uh, Time Centre, to New York natives, in fact. Uh, UFC middleweight champion at the time, Chris Weidman, and his coach, Ray Longo, came on stage. And what did they say? Well, they were talking about his path from college wrestling to the UFC, mixed martial arts, of course. And they talked about the challenges that um, Chris faced on the way up as well as what Longo called his trifecta for the perfect alchemy between a champion and their coach. I think what you're trying to say, John, is this is an excellent listen. Yes, I think we should get underway. In a moment, but before that, let me tell the good people listening that if you are interested in becoming a member of our Performance Institute and attending our summits, inquire online right now at leadersinsport.com slash membership. This year, the Institute is heading to Chicago, Florida, and London. We've got regular content on the website as well. Great insights, great perspectives from across the performance world. So get involved if you're not already. All right, John, shall we get going with Chris Weidman and Ray Longo 2015 Performance Summit for this special archive edition? Chris, I want to start just with the chance for you to tell your story. Um, and particularly, I want you to pause at those moments when, when you were at a crossroads, when it didn't look too rosy, and just tell us what made the difference and where you went and why and how it's got you here. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Thanks. I just, you know, just want to say that it's really a big honor for both me and Ray to be here. Uh, so I really appreciate being asked to come. But yeah, it definitely has not been rosy. Um, it's been a, a lot of failures, a lot of setbacks, um, a lot of crossroads where you know, you're not sure if this is the, the path that was meant for you. So um, it was never crystal clear. Uh, you know, I've, I, I've had times where you know, I got hit by Hurricane Sandy. My house was completely devastated. Uh, you know, we had to move out. We were displaced for year, uh, you know, almost a year with my family. Uh, I've had, I've, you know, I started as a wrestler and had so many losses. Um, and failures to where I question myself. Um, but one, one uh, unique situation where I really I reflect back on all the time, and it was really where I questioned um, what, 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 what I was going to do with the rest of my life the most was, <clears throat> was when I was 2-0. and I was 2-0 and as, as a pro. I had so many people who, who believe in me, but I also had so many, so many doubters. Uh, especially Ray Longo was one of the guys who, who believed in me uh, from, from the beginning, and it really kept me um, focused and, and trying to um, obtain these goals I, I, I set out for myself. But at 2-0, I, I ended up breaking my hand, and it was a serious hand, hand injury. It wasn't like one of those things you put a cast on four weeks later, you're better. It was, it was a case where I needed a serious hand surgery that was going to put me out for six months. Um, they actually took my hip bone and put it into my hand, and I, I got a nice bump still there where my hips in my hand. And um, so they told me six months, and I said, it's all right. At this time, I was living in my parents' basement. Uh, I had a pregnant wife. I was getting my master's degree at Hofstra University. Uh, my wife was trying to earn her CPA, 
and working at one of the number one accounting firms in the world, PricewaterhouseCoopers, while pregnant, coming home every night with really swollen feet. And it was, one, it was just really tough because I wasn't bringing anything to the table. I wasn't making any money. And you know, I had a lot of close family members and friends that were kind of looking at me like I was selfish for trying to stay on task and accomplish this goal. And, uh, and, and I had guys like him who kept kind of giving me faith that this wasn't for nothing, that he really believed I had the opportunity and the potential to be a champion because he's seen it before. He, ha he has coached other champions. Um, so I think that's what kind of kept me going. But it, it, was, it was a big struggle. Uh, so I'll, six months goes by, and I think I'm ready to punch. I go to punch. The doctor said I was going to be good to go. Extreme pain. Another month goes, another month goes by, another month goes by. My, time, my clock is just ticking. Two years it took until I was able to fight again. And, and in that two years, even, even when I, I, I decided to take another fight at that two-year mark, I wasn't healthy. My hand was still completely, it was terrible. I couldn't bring my hand back, so I couldn't wrestle the way I used to. I couldn't punch. So here I am thinking, you know, I have all these high expectations for myself. I have guys like Longo as, who have these high expectations for me. And yet, I'm just like, I think my career is over. This is not, you know, this is not what I want. This is not going to be able to happen. So we decided as a team, you know, I said, let's just take a fight. I want to fight the best guy there is in the area because now that two years <clears throat> have gone by, I want to fight the best guy there is to get me eventually to the UFC because when you're on the lower stage, you're not making money at all. You know, and there's no guarantee of making money, uh, good money, even in the UFC. So we decided to take a fight against a guy named Uriah Hall, who was the number one prospect uh, in the country at the time. And at this time, I couldn't, I couldn't spar and punch my right hand. All I could do was, everything was a left hand. So I got really good lefty. And I actually went out there uh, in September of 2011 and went out there and got a, a knockout of a number one prospect in the world or in the country with a left hook. And then after that, I took another fight instantly. And still, my hand wasn't healed. And basically, right after that, the UFC decided to call me. Wasn't, wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't as rosy even as, as I'm making a sound. It was, there was a lot of uh, tough times, but uh, it eventually worked out. So that's, that's one of the crossroads that I went through. Ray, your, um, your journey as a trainer has been interesting as well. And I wondered if you would just kind of start not necessarily at the real beginning, but kind of when you decided to go into this line of work and, and then maybe the experience that you had as, as uh, friends of Chris were calling you, asking you to let this kid from Hofstra come into your gym and, and get a look. That's true. Uh, yeah, of course. And I want to, like Chris said, it's an honor to be here. I'm glad everybody even cares to hear what we have to say. But... Uh, uh, basically, just a little bit about my background. I was a common denominator <clears throat> in two of the greatest uh, victories, greatest upsets in UFC history with uh, Matt Serra beating GSP back in 2007 and, of course, Chris Weidman beating Anderson Silver, I think, in 2013, who's both guys were considered the greatest of all time and they'll go down as the greatest of all time. Um, in 1980, I graduated St. John's with a bachelor's degree in accounting. And, you know, when we got called to do this thing, I was like, man, what does accounting have to do? How can I put accounting into this, you know? And I thought about it. I said, you know, accounting, everything has to add up. And, um, you know, sometimes in fighting or in any sport, whatever you guys are doing, something looks great on paper. It adds up. 
but there's something missing, and that's really the X factor. And when I thought about this, I said, you know, I, I came up with a couple of things, and I call it like the trifecta behind the, the X factor, that if you could line up all of these things, uh, you have a greater success in winning, and, you know, it goes back to, you know, being able to spot Chris. And number one, obviously, you need a talented athlete, uh, somebody who has a no-excuses mentality, somebody that can make the adjustments, willing to listen. Number two, you need a coach that can spot the talent. You know, they say if you can spot it, you got it. And, and he has to be able to bond with the athlete, not just for what you have to do in fighting, but everyday life. I want to know his stresses, what stresses him out, how can I help him, you know, things like that. So it's not only about fighting, it's about everybody has problems in life, everybody has adversity, you have relationship problems, you have a bunch of different things. And the third thing, and the least uh, tangible, is trust. And I believe um, if you could, you know, by coordinating the first two, the, the coach and the, uh, and the athlete, if you could, you know, build that trust and create a bond with your athlete that has to be as seamless as his muscle memory, you know, in performing his task, I think, I really think you got a winning combination. So it's not just you have a, a coach and, a, and an athlete. It really has to be, there has to be a connection on, a, on another level. And I think, you know, if you don't have trust, everything's going to fall apart, no matter how talented you are. And, you know, if the coach, you know, if the coach can see it, the athlete believes it. And I think, you know, obviously when I first saw Chris, I was like, man, I know this guy's got it. You know, now hopefully all those other points had to fall into place, which they did. You know, uh, my first champion, Matt Serra, I mean, we're still friends. We've been friends for 20 years. We'll be friends for another 20 years. And I, I know the same is true for Chris. If he loses, I lose. I mean, you have to really, really be selfless and put the athlete first. And, um, and again, I think that's what we created. And I think... You, you could transfer it over to life, you could transfer it over to any other sport, but if you line up those three points, I believe you'll hit the trifecta, you'll create the perfect storm, and you'll have a real winning combination that's really hard to beat, man. You know, people will want to win for you, and you want to produce for them. You know, I have to love my job as much as he loves what he does, and it's a, it's a crazy thing, but we were able to do it, and I'm, I'm happy he, he chose me to take the journey with, and and the rest is history, as they say. So, Chris, there are obviously <laughs> big chunks of things that you you jumped over, and and I appreciate you sharing kind of some of those real hard times and and how you made decisions to to persevere through that. But you know, I want the audience to understand a little bit more about you as an athlete. I mean, you were a state champion wrestler. You were uh, a two-time national junior college all-American. You were a two-time All-American NCAA Division I wrestler at Hofstra. But at no time outside of your scholastic days in high school did you actually win the championship as a college wrestler. I knew you were going to do you that. You got a problem? I knew you, you were going to do that. Put me on blast right now for everybody. But, but the interesting thing for me, and, and what I want to, to kind of share with this audience is that there are so many of us that have encountered athletes who had gotten really close and never got to the next step. And we learned today that actually many of those are now in NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm heading, I think. <laughs> but 
uh, tell us more about kind of getting, clearly you're in what, top 1% of junior college wrestlers, you're in the top 1% of NCAA Division I wrestlers, but you're not standing on the podium, you're not undefeated world champion, you're, you're almost. So what gets you from there to where you are now? Yeah, so uh, he's right. So I was a four-time college All-American. I made it to the semifinals every single year and lost to the guy who won it every single year. And every single time I was in that semifinal match, I was actually winning the match and ended up losing. So I was the choke artist. Uh, but I was also the guy who was in the room, who was talented, and not really working that hard. I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I, was, I was always very competitive. I always wanted to win. But I really wasn't mature enough to put the work in to accomplish that. So when I was walking on the mat, I didn't, I, I wasn't necessarily 100% confident that I deserved to win these matches. Because in the back of my head, I might have thought that these guys were working harder than me. And I remember there, there, was, a, there was a few guys that when I was in the college wrestling room that weren't as talented me as, at, at all, but they were able to accomplish more than me. And the difference between me and them was that they were working as hard as they possibly could every day. They were trying to be the hardest work in the room. And that wasn't me at the time. And so when I got into mixed martial arts, I just told myself, this is, this is my last thing. You know, it was, it was a combination of things. Me maturing with age, it was a combination of me having a wife now and, and getting a kid on the way uh, to where I realized, you know, this is it. You know, I had these God-given abilities and, and I'm kind of thrown out the window. And I'm getting older now. I think I was about 25 when I started uh, mixed martial arts. And I said, I'm just going to give it my all. And the one thing I wanted to change was, change was I was going to work hard. You know, the talent thing was always going to be there. But I was going to be, be able to control working hard, which, and, and, which, which is going to be able to give me confidence to win. So what I did was when I went down to raise and match gym, I literally just faked it till I made it. I made everybody in that gym just believe that I was this hard-nosed, hard-working wrestler blue collar kid that just wasn't the most talented kid, but was the hardest working guy in the room. And at first, for about a year, it was, it was tough. It was a, a conscious decision every single day, no matter what I felt like, I'm pushing through. Because I remember watching these guys do it. I knew it was possible. I seen these hardworking guys accomplish great things. So I knew what it took. So I just decided to just be that hardworking guy. And then before you know it, it just stopped losing. It just, everything added up. Because when you work hard, you're going to have confidence. You have that confidence that there's no way this guy's going to be, beat me. And then I had, you know, I just, I had that refusal to lose. I was not going to lose. I don't care what any of the, where these guys are from in the world. You know, I, I'm known as the Brazilian killer because I fight all these, these crazy athletes from, from Brazil that are amazing fighters. I just had this attitude, there's no way these guys have a chance of beating me. And it all stemmed from me working as hard as I possibly can every single day in that room. And everything just added up. I mean, and I'm not, and then you have Ray Longo, a guy who mentally, I was a midget. I was a mentally midget when I was in, in college. I was, a, I was a choke artist failure that really, there was a couple, there was a bunch of times I questioned myself, I just, I just don't have what it takes to be a champion. I'm not the guy I thought I was. But when you had Ray Longo in there who's seen champions before, who I gained a relationship with on a personal level, that's just telling me how good I really am. And then you had that mentality of me learning from my mistakes and all these failures of losing to guys that I thought I was way better than because I wasn't working hard. And let me add one thing to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me add one thing to that. He, yes, he was talented, but 
He wasn't faking anybody. We knew exactly what he was doing. No, and how hard trust he was me. Yeah. And this is the difference. A good coach knows when to push a guy hard and when to pull him back and be lenient. And uh, the one thing I spotted was 100% was this is a super talented guy. Was he the most hardest working guy? <laughs> he might have thought he was working hard, but we all <laughs> knew what was going on. We knew we, we could only push him so far and then pull him back. But I think, like, again, it goes back to coaching and developing a relationship, which if you go back and, you know, think about some of the things I said about hitting that trifecta, there was a bond there. And, you know, I mean, one time he took a fight. Um, I don't want to jump ahead of your questions, but he took right. a fight. Go ahead. Last minute, he had just gotten over bruised ribs, I think. Uh, fractured ribs. Fractured ribs. Rib. Yeah, I think. I didn't get over it. It was actually, I just got fractured. I just instantly got fractured right. ribs. Right. But we, we talked to the doc. We had the story the, right. Come on. We talked Guys. to the doc. We had the MRI. It was a risk, but we did it. But, you know, first thing is, you know, he couldn't. He had it. He had it. But, like, I think Cassidy was two years old. And we needed to hit the cardio quick. You know, back then I would have him push, push my car, not with me in it, because I don't want to. Oh, he was, always, he, was, he was always in the car, by the way. That adds at least 300 pounds. But, you know, I, I grabbed my daughter. It's got to be 10 o'clock at night. I said, you're going to babysit Chris's kids because we really need to do this. And I, I think those are the things. This isn't at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. This is 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. So, you know, you make things happen. I knew he was a great talent, and I knew he was going to win that fight. Broken ribs, not broken ribs. It really didn't matter. But... We always did what we had to do to get the job done. And I think that was just like one example. It's like, you know, he's saying, you know, I, I, I don't know, I can't, I have Cassidy, what are we gonna do? We can't leave her alone when we're in the gym. No problem, I'll take my daughters. I think she was 16 at the time. You're babysitting while we go down there and we, you know, we did it. But those type of situations, I think, build a bond that it's, it, there's always an intangible that's gonna make things you know, just stronger than they, they would have naturally have been. And I think that's a just to, a Just to story. piggyback off this, uh, I think, it tr like you said, trust was so big in that because I I broken ribs, I could hardly breathe. I'm not going to be able to train for my first fight ever in the UFC where I always imagine when I get to the UFC, I'm going to have time to prepare and show the world that I'm great and, uh, you know, kind of wow people. But now all of a sudden I'm fighting on two and a half weeks notice against a, uh, one of the top guys in the UFC with fractured ribs. And no one knows it. You know, no one knows that not going around telling people. So I've, I can't have any excuses on why I lose. And I think that goes into something else where um, racing doubts. While I was preparing for that fight and I'm not able to spar, do jiu-jitsu or wrestle and doing the main elements that you know obviously make me a mixed martial artist, there was a lot of doubts came in my mind and excuses on why it's okay to lose this fight. And every single time that doubt, and this is a draining thing. You can't just sit back and and do this, you have to consciously erase these doubts out of your mind. You know, it was okay, you know, it's all right afterwards, you know, I, I'll have another fight. They'll let me have one more fight in the UFC if I lose this. Or, you know, it's my first fight in the UFC, I'm gonna get, you know, there's a lot of pressure, so it's okay if I lose, people understand. It was, you know, I, yeah, I had broken ribs. There was a million excuses that came into my mind and every single time I fought on getting those excuses out of my mind, no, there's no way I'm losing to this guy. There's no way, I don't care the circumstances, I'm, gonna, I'm going to win. And to have a guy like Longo, who truly believed in that at the same time, even under those, those crazy circumstances, gives me that extra confidence boost I need as an athlete.
Did so, we just ruin this whole show? You know, you've made this uh, the yeah. easiest moderating it's game. It's Longo. Longo, Longo is awesome. I was, I was actually going to jump in again. <laughs> it's a, no, yeah. no, no, no. It's get out. so easy. I'm just going to exit stage left. No, I was gonna Unless say, it's about me, then you can talk. Go no, so, Chris, say, <laughs> go ahead. Mentally, Ray. really one of the strongest people I've ever encountered. And again, it, I feel like I'm doing your, your, your moderating for I you. I love it. He, he really wants to beat you at everything. It, it is really insane, but I love that. I love that attitude, and I, I remember as a kid reading stories about uh, Bob Gibson, who he was a, one of the greatest pitchers ever. I think he pitched for the Cardinals championship ring, probably 67 or whatever, but he, he wouldn't let his daughter beat him at checkers. She was 11 years old, and then as I was telling that story, somebody said, you know, Roger Clemens was doing like a play game with his kid, and he threw the ball at his kid's head. I mean, these are qualities that could be construed as sick, but I can tell you, from a competitive standpoint, you really need him, and he's that guy. I mean, he is that guy. So when I spotted I that, love my kids. No, 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 that's right. But when I spotted that, I was like, man, this kid is—he's pushing through things that you know he's making me better because he's making me look like a genius because I really believe in him, and that makes my job that much easier. So I, I would go into other fights like you know a little nervous, but with him, man, I was always fully confident because if he told me he could do it, I always believed him. Yeah, I think the exact words you've used before are, he's an MFer. An M what the heck is an MFer? I don't know. No, we don't want to. <clears throat> Chris, I want to jump back in, into uh, kind of this place where you were making the decision. W was, it, was it a moment? I mean, was it, was it a moment at home? Was it a period of time that you just kind of came to this place of, I know what I need to do. I know I'm not doing it. I'm going to change. What, what was it a buildup and then one moment in the mirror or in the gym or whatever else? It just, it was there for you or did it just take time and you know, the reflection that, that clearly you, you are so terrific at, you know, coupled with the relationships you have at home and, and with Ray. Tell us about just a little bit more of, of that aspect. Just how I decided to decide that I'm anymore. gonna quit, quit losing. Yeah, um, I think it was always in me. I, I knew what it took. You know, I've had coaches tell you that, you know, hard work builds confidence and confidence is, you know, really, what makes a difference and creates a winner. I've had people tell me I know it, and then I'm seeing it, but at the time, I just wasn't mature enough to actually go out and do it. And um, it took a lot of losing, and then uh, added with, you know, being a great coach and uh, building a family and seeing that, you know, I'm not gonna be an athlete forever, it's gonna end. And this is my last hurrah. I mean, you know, what's funny is, I know there's a, you know, everybody here comes from a different sport, and so right after I was, right after I decided I was going to either, uh, after, after I decided I'm done losing and I'm gonna, I'm gonna work hard, it wasn't like, I wasn't 100% I was gonna do mixed martial arts. It was gonna be something. It was gonna be either mixed martial arts, it was gonna be, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna win that Olympic gold. But it was also, I used to play hockey when I was in sixth grade and I was really good and I, have this, and I still have the scoring record in my little league uh, hockey team. No one's counting, right? What's that? No one's counting. No one's right? counting, yeah. but uh, it's still there. And, um, and I said, either, or I'm gonna try out for the Islanders. I'm gonna just, I think I could do it. I haven't played since sixth grade, but I think I'm a good athlete, I'm gonna work hard. I'm, these guys can't compete with me. So I literally had that mindset, and I, my, we had no money at the time, I was so broke. But took a credit card out, and I went and bought hockey equipment. My, my <laughs> wife wanted to kill me. So I go down to the rink, 
and there's high school kids there, so I start playing high school kids, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm gonna be in the NHL, it's official. <laughs> I go down, and I'm like, holy crap, I suck. This is terrible. Yeah, I got smoked, and then, uh, then, then I realized, all right, let me, let, me try, let me go back to that mixed martial art idea, and then I, you know, I'm gonna become the best at this sport, and, and, it, and that ended up kind of working out, but yeah. Kinda. I wanted to be the best at something. Yeah, yeah. good job. <laughs> So on this stage or at leaders over the past several years, we've seen guys like Arsene Wenger from, from Arsenal say things like, you know, there can be no growth without discontent. Or last year at leaders, Dan Coyle was here and he said, struggle makes you smart. You're a freaking genius, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that you continue to say, which is really interesting to me, is you say things like, I like when there are doubters. I like when people think that I can't beat somebody. Do you ever get to a place where that weighs on you, or have you just developed the ability to, to use that as pure fuel? Pure fuel. Pure fuel. I mean, there has time, there's times where it got kind of crazy and a little dark with it. Uh, and it was, you know, I, I, I kind of was, I was setting my march for these, now, if you don't know the sport, I, was, I wanted to fight Anderson Silva. I told everybody I could beat him. He was the greatest of all time uh, in mixed martial arts for a very long time. He still might be considered the greatest of all time. Um, but he was unbeatable. No one could beat him. And I came out saying, I'm gonna, there's no way this guy's beating me, and I'm going to finish him. And people looked at me like I was out of my mind. And the amount of doubters that I've collected over the years <laughs> have been, it's been crazy. Uh, and, you know, you get, and you do, you know, Right? You know, these days it's social media, so you see it on Twitter. You know, you get all these people from Brazil, you know, they're just like, you're going to die, you're crazy, you suck. And it's, there's times where it, uh, there's certain comments people could have made that kind of bothered me, they'll bother me, but within a couple seconds, minutes, maybe even some of them maybe got me for a day, the most, it just turns to straight motivation. It just is like, oh, oh yeah, you think so? And then you can't wait to just prove them wrong. It's just—it's one of those things that there's always going to be doubters out there, no matter who you are. Michael Jordan, LeBron James—these guys all have so many doubters. You know, they're, they're the greatest of the game, and um, you always could have that as a motivating factor because they'll always be there. So it is one of my my uh, my biggest motivating factors. Yeah, and I like to jump in on this too. I mean, he, he mentioned something about social media, but really, this is the first sport that was born into the social media era, the infancy, you know, the internet, you know, it, every other sport's been around 100 years. This really coincided with the internet and social media and everything, so the self-doubt is in what you have to go through as, a, as an athlete are different today than I believe they could have been 50 years ago. There was no way of, of even getting to you, because, you know, even as, as a coach, I mean, uh, I had, <clears throat> you know, Matt Serra, uh, like again, win a title in 2007. And when Chris was going to fight, well, you know, they have a small school. I mean, you know, what does Longo know? He doesn't know anything. And, you know, it really plays on you, but it is really super motivating to me. And I think it's an ind individual thing. And then he wins the title. And then it's like, well, you know, Cyril lost the title in his first defense. He, Weidman will never do it. Longo's idea, they're not the. Then he wins, you know, so you're always up against something. They, they don't leave you alone. It's really crazy. People, certain people love to doubt for whatever it is. They probably have miserable lives. We don't know because they're, they're hiding behind their computer. But <laughs> that, so, the doubt is a crazy. But if you're the right individual, I mean, to me, it drives me to the point where 
I, I really can't stand losing. And it's not that I'm looking to prove them wrong, but it does get in your head a little bit, but it really does make you stronger because it wasn't like, you know, I could rest now. He won the championship. Well, he's never going to defend it. Anderson's going gonna, gonna to beat him the next time, you know. Look what happened to Sarri. He lost to GSP the second time. So then I was like, holy crow, we got to really work hard. I mean, it, it just drives you to, like, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's to make sure this guy is properly ready. I mean, to the fullest extent, you know, contingency plans, everything, because we have to win, like, and for more than a couple of reasons. But, but. You, you, like, so we said social media and different things like that, but also some of the things that people don't, might, might not realize, as an athlete and over the years, I've, it's people really close to me that are secretly not hoping for me to be, or hoping for me not to be successful, and you feel it. You, you know guys who are truly not rooting for you. Uh, it could be even family, some family members, you know, just success is scary for people, and you get, you, and, and that, can motiv that motivates me. I mean, I've had, a family, I've had family members say to me, like, oh, the next guy you're fighting, he's pretty good, you better be careful. <laughs> and do you, you realize that I have to hold my lips together and just, oh, and, and that motivates the crap out of me. I just can't wait to look at my family member and be like, yeah, he was tough. Yeah, he was really good, he was scary. Yeah, how does he look now? But, so it, I've had all types of people hating on me and, and kind of, you feel, you, you feel their negativity. You just gotta, you gotta keep positive, which is another very important thing, the, the, the positivity and believing in yourself and the law of attraction, I think all that stuff, you know, having faith is just, there's, there's so many elements to success. Um, I'm gonna come back to that one in a minute, um, but one of the things that I think Ray just brought out a little bit was that, you know, here you come into to Ray's gym, you're a wrestler. I mean, you probably boxed a little bit punching kids in the schoolyard or something like that, right? Your brothers. Yeah, I always thought I knew how to fight. Yeah. Um, you didn't do any of the Brazilian mixed martial arts mm -hmm. uh, until really then, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you said I just love is like, I have so much to learn. I'm an infant in almost every one of the mixed martial arts and I'm champion of the world. So that's gotta scare the shit out of your opponents. I mean, <laughs> the guys that are coming up. But I mean, tell oh, us yeah. about you as a learner. Yeah, I've I've so much to learn, and you know I've wrestled my whole life, and I still, still I have fu I, I'm funny about teaching it because I'm like I still feel like I have so much to learn. Uh, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I won the national, I won I'm the you know I won the nationals in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu my first year doing it. Uh, submitted all these you know top black belts in the world, went to the world tournament, did did pretty well, and I still feel like I don't I know nothing. Striking, you know I've knocked out the best guy in the world, one of the most feared strikers. Knocked him out, and I still feel like I know nothing. I really don't have that sense that I know it at all at all. And I think that's a big part of it. You have, for example, coming from a wrestling background, I know wrestlers who come to the sport, and they're just like, I'm going to take down everybody. And they have that mentality, and then all of a sudden, one guy stops their takedown, and they didn't expect that. And now they're stuck on their feet, and they're getting knocked out. It's like, from the get-go, when I started, I started off as a wrestler. And wrestlers are known to not be good on their backs, because in wrestling, you never want to be on your back. So what, uh, as soon as I got into the sport, I made sure every time I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is a game of submissions and grappling, I always started on my back. Never did I come on top of a guy because I knew that was going to come easier for me. That was more of my element. So I put myself in these bad positions over and over again and put myself in these worst-case scenarios all the time because that's how you get better. You know, you just got to test yourself. So. And there's some there's some great footage of Chris. I'll get you in just a sec, Ray. Um, but one of the things I thought was beautiful, and there's a YouTube uh, 
interview sequence with Chris, and he says this about his training. I want to train to such an extent that I'm not going to see anything in the match that I haven't already seen, and I'm not going to feel anything in the match that I haven't already felt. And I just thought that was so powerful. And, and Ray, I mean, clearly you're, you're driving a lot of this training as well. I mean, Want me to just touch that first? Uh, well, I was just going to oh. go on to one thing. Based on what you're saying, we have a thing called the five Ps, proper preparation prevents poor performance. So the fact that you want to bring in the right sparring partners and make sure that is Google that? Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I stole it from a movie. I can't tell you which one, but, <laughs> but um, you know, you really want to make sure the guy's prepared the right way. But something he said, and it's part of the, uh, the X factors, he's willing to work on his weaknesses. And I'm going to give you an example. We had a kid fighting who was, I think I got him up to rank, he was ranked number five, I believe. And in the world, was a, number, number five in number, the world. Number five in the world, professional boxer. Could have did it, was great, was a great talent. Refused to work on his wrestling. Chris is a wrestler, first day in the gym, I want to box that guy. He wants to box. He wanted to correct his stand-up, his tie boxing, his boxing. And that's, a, again, one of those things that has to be inherent in the person. So you have to have the right guy. But, but so, I also think, I'm, I'm going there to correct myself, but I also think it's because I, I want to beat him at it. I want to beat him. If this guy thinks he's a professional boxer and he's the best in the world boxing, I want to go in there and be like, no, you're not. I'm the best in boxing. But that's kind of why I do And it. you need that mindset. But, but one guy willing to work on his weaknesses, one guy willing not to work on his weaknesses. And that's really huge, huge, you know, factor in whether or not you're going to make it or not make it. We were talking in an earlier discussion um, about process versus outcome. And I think everybody in this room believes that process, the things that get you there, the things that prepare you for the event, make all the difference in the world. But at the end of the day, we all kind of live and die by the outcome. I mean, how do you, how do you, you make a living at this. You, 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 and, and you struggled for a long time to get to this place. How do you, how do you kind of deal with the, the process versus outcome question and, and how does outcome maybe drive the processes that are necessary to get there? Well, you know, I've, I've these goals set for myself. I want to be the greatest of all time. It was always, you know, you have all these, you have short-term goals and long-term goals, but my long-term goal and I'm getting closer to is to be known as the greatest of all time. And so that's, that's the outcome, and, and I'm just going to work as hard as I possibly can to achieve it. And, and, and obviously that, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And so I just, I work hard and I kind of go by the mantra, you know, every, you know it's, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. You know, it's, 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 there's a plan. And um, so it kind of takes the pressure off me. As long as I'm working hard, I really could go out there with no pressure. I'm just going to go out there and work hard again. And whatever happens, happens. If I don't win, if I lose and I don't accomplish my goals, it was, it was that's the way it was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. So it kind of puts me at peace. As, as much pressure I, as I, the most pressure I put on myself, it's, it's a daily thing, is just to work hard. That's it. And then for, the rest just will happen. Everything else will fall in place. If, it do, if I don't accomplish my goals and my dreams, I could go to sleep at night. And if I, I've lost so many wrestling matches, and it was always, I, I, you know, I'm, it's, it's a terrible feeling when you beat yourself. And that's one thing, I, I just refuse to beat myself. And as long as I'm working hard, I don't have to worry about that. So it's a, it's a nice, uh, it's a relief. Ray, do you have a comment on that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. He fell asleep. I told him. I saw him. I saw him working on his notebook there. I thought he was going to pull out some some sage word. All right, Ray. So let me let me ask you this. So in the gyms that you've had, you know, you, clearly you've, you've brought guys like Chris and, and Matt Sarah along to, you know, some of the, the biggest results uh, in, in UFC history. Uh, what are the, the biggest challenges you face in working with guys like that? What are you challenged with in supporting an athlete like Chris or like Matt uh, who are at the peak of their game? And, and how does that differ from other athletes who are still under your care and you're developing toward maybe that path in the future? Uh, <clears throat> you know, these guys, they're all, you know, mad Chris. They all wanted to be pushed hard, just like any athlete, you know, wh wherever they are in their career. And I, I really don't change much between, you know, that way of doing it. I think I like to work with athletes that are humble. I think we're all like-minded. You know, we have the same water seeks at its own level. I think that's why we're all together. Um, but, uh, you know, working with guys like that, it's such a privilege and an honor for me to even be in there or that they, they respect me enough to let, you know, let me work with them. That, um, you know, I, I really do push them the same way I would push anybody. And, um, go ahead. I think uh, one thing that he does is great. Number one, um, as an athlete, you, I, one thing that I can't stand is kind of doing the same thing every day. You know, uh, he does a great job of changing things up. Also, as being as competitive as I am and other athletes that are going to achieve success, you're, they're extremely competitive. And he makes things competitive. I remember when we used to have these, these circuit workouts that he would put us through. And, and he would be writing down everybody's scores, how many times they did a versa climber, uh, how many steps on the versa climber they did in two minutes. And they had all, he had all the fighters and all the athletes on there. And every night before I went to bed, I was thinking about it. I was excited to get up in the morning and just kill that and have the best score and break the record uh, on the versa climber and how many push-ups in a certain amount of time and how many pull-ups you could do. So anything with competition, anything that you make it competitive between the athletes, that's what drives me. I need, I need the competition. If there's... That's, that's the other problem. If, he, if I'm coming in to hit, just hit pads with him and I see another guy my size that's in the gym, I'm, I'd much rather just go spar with that guy and have fun and, than to just hit pads. I'm just very, I just, anything to do a competition. And let, let's take a guess who would have the best score on those circuits if we had a guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, no, he, he used to crush those. You know, you have to be careful with those too because you don't want to demotivate yeah. anybody. You know, I remember even at the time of those circuits, <clears throat> you know, I did that. You know, there's a, another thing we, we touched upon with the camaraderie of the gym. And I mean, that's really, it was really to build com camaraderie amongst the guys and, you know, to weed out whoever's not wishing well for another guy. And, you know, you, get, you learn a lot about people watching them train. You know, I could, I could almost, I would, I would say this, I could watch guys do that circuit without knowing anybody and tell you who was going to be successful and not successful. Like, I do a thing just... When I do it, it's a workout, but I'll say, okay, just for example, run a sprint 100 yards, do 20 push-ups, come back, 20 V-sits or 20 sit-ups, whatever. And I can almost tell you the guys that are going to cheat. They, they, they don't get it. It's not a competition. They're there to challenge themselves. And I'll watch a guy run down there, 14 push-ups. I mean, it's, it's incredible, but that same guy... Is a you know he's a scam artist at his job. He's a con man, yeah. and it, it goes hand in hand. It is a metaphor, and I believe like again what you do in the ring in the octagon really parallels to your life. 
You know, if you're a cheater, you're gonna cheat in there. You know, if you're not, if you're a quitter, you're gonna quit in there. And it, it's 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 better than a lie detector test. It really is. But um, I don't know if I went off on a tangent there. That's all right. That's good. I like it. But, um, but yeah, so those circuits really were designed to challenge everybody, but to build camaraderie, raise the bar for the other guys, you know, and just really create a great gym environment where everybody wants to be there, you know, and you know, you want to always, you know, try to get rid of those, like again, those guys that are undermining the other people in the gym and they're out there, man. Yeah. And it's a disease, you got to cut that out as quick as possible, man. And, and you know, all guys that are just there for the limelight. And again, there's nothing wrong with limelight, but let it come in its natural course. Don't look for the limelight before you've accomplished anything. Those guys are gonna have to, you know, be shown the door also. So it's, it's a balancing act, keeping the gym in the right frame of mind, but I think everybody benefits from it and the friendships that have come out of there and everybody pulling for everybody. If you ever see, we have a fighter ally of Quinta, man. He's a, just a blue collar, blood and guts type of fighter, great guy. Great fight coming up, hopefully he'll be fighting for a title soon. And uh, if you ever watch Chris sitting in the front row, coming out of his chairs, punching, <laughs> doing the guys, it's crazy. But I always say it's one of the greatest things I love watching is him rooting for one of his teammates. <laughs> I just, as a coach, it's just, man, I go, I'm doing the right thing, man. This is great stuff. I love it, you know? Chris, you talked about a couple things with it, which I thought were great. And uh, I wanted to ask that question of you directly, which is, you know, here in this audience sit performance professionals. They, they could be GMs, they could be head coaches, they could be performance staff, sports medicine, sports science. Um, you touched on a couple of things that, that maybe coaches or, or even the performance directors might really understand of what you need as an elite athlete. You need to be varied in your practice. You need to have a competitive environment. Just kind of taking one extra moment to, to share anything else. I've seen, you know, as you're preparing for a fight in your eight-week camp and you put a picture of your opponent up on your fridge, I, I don't stalk you, I saw this online. Um, and, you know, you've got things like, you know, nutrition and rest and recovery. Uh, do, you, do you have a team that helps you with those things uh, or are you just kind of taking care of that yourself and, and kind of getting back to that question of what can these guys learn from what you need to be better at what they do? Uh, um, well, I think one other aspect that I, that I didn't touch on that helps with learning is kind of getting the guys um, into visualization. Um, you know, when, when, when a move is taught or, or something is taught in a day, um, I might not pick it up right away. You know, it's not like I'm a, a freak where I'm going to do it instantly. Sometimes I get lucky, other times not. But it's about going home and when my wife's talking to me and she's getting pissed off because I'm not paying attention, I'm visualizing. <laughs> I'm focused. <laughs> so she might call it ADD. I call it hyper-focused. <laughs> and uh, so it's a gift. I'm going to use that. It's a gift. But even like, you know, again, like writing things down. I think writing things down, you learn something, write it down. It makes it more real. Before you go to bed, that's when I learn the most. Before I'm going to bed and falling asleep, I'm just thinking, I'm just visualizing myself doing the things that I learned that day and, and, and then can't wait to wake up in the morning to practice it and to, and to make that real, to make what I see myself doing actually happen. And I think that's so important. If you're able to visualize whatever it is that you want to accomplish, 
you could do it. You, once your brain understands it and you can see yourself truly doing it, everything else follows. Your body will do it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else. What else was there? I know I said some big, uh, yeah, I think that's all right. We'll, we'll go there. I want to come back to it in just a sec. But Ray, I'm going to leave you with this last question for you, and then I'll have one last one for for Chris here. Um, there is a beautiful interview with you at the end of which the the guy was speaking with you about legacy and, and what you want to leave when you step away from the game. And I thought your answer was really poignant and and just really humble and direct. And I wanted you to either share that perspective with the audience here or, or just answer it again on your own of, of what do you want to leave behind when you step away from the game? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna clean it up a little bit, I think, because I think what I originally said is I want to be known as a guy that really gave a shit about his fighters, but um, let's cross that Sorry out. But that. Uh, that, that one I thought about and um, not that I wrote that a lot, but the number one, you have to be selfless. I think that's, you know, more of, you know, caring about the guys. And, you know, for me, I always put the athlete first. And uh, number two, I really think you have to not make it feel like a business, but make it really feel personal. I think once you get into, like, the business thing, that's why I say in that same interview, I never, I, I never had a contract with one of my fighters because... It, it would it, it actually would ruin it for me. I mean, I, I, for me, because I want the trust to go both ways, and I trust that they're going to do the right. And it doesn't mean I don't like money. I love money, but uh, but it I, it's, it goes both ways. You know what I mean? So they do the right thing, and I do the right thing, and um, and I think the third thing with with, uh, with that was is just to know when to push your athlete, mm -hmm. and really when to pull them back, and that's. That's a big thing. It's not a cookie cutter mentality, and you know, it's it's really it's really an art form and a feel. I think that you know, I was able to, to develop because these guys really let me use them as guinea pigs. Believe it or not, I had to start somewhere. So, you know, I think that's that. Those are the three things: be selfless, don't make it a business, make it personal if it's possible, and really know when to push and when to be able to pull back guys so that you can peak them at the right time. That would be the only three things I could, uh, I could pass on. I, I, yeah, and that's huge because as an athlete, you know, especially accomplished now what I've accomplished, if I go somewhere and I'm training, there's nothing, these, some of these coaches, you know, whether it be a strength coach or, you know, just a regular coach, you know, there's a million different type of coaches we have in this sport. But um, you'll see these guys, they just want to try to break you. It's like an ego thing. They, they want to see if they could break you. And it's not about that, you know, and he does a great job of, kind of maybe bring it into that area where you have to push yourself past of past that point where you want to break and you feel like you're going to die and then just going that extra step further. But he does a great job of, uh, and I think it's because he gets to know us on a personal level to where he knows us enough to where to pull us back. And and even some days he's pushing me and I think I, I don't think he should be pushing me. Um, so he, he's pretty good at um, figuring out. I, and it's all about the athlete, just having the trust in, in him with that. Yeah, it goes back to really, like again, not just knowing your job, but really knowing the athlete, and I really, like, I make it my job to know if he's having trouble at home, or if he's having trouble over here, or, you know, the guy's coming in about the lease, and you have to know when to pull back and really when to push, and all of those things come into play, and if you don't have those, you know, that information available, you know, you push a guy wrong. These are guys that are at the top level, and everybody's a person, and, you know, you do the wrong thing, you lose that trust, I really believe you're gonna, 
you know, lose something that's very special. So, Chris, your, um, your dad had said that you understand the value of being a champion. And whether it's through family, the relationship you have with your coaches and community, um, I want you to end with this. I want you to, to tell this audience what that means. What is the value of being a champion? And what, besides your personal goal of being remembered as the best ever, uh, what do you leave behind? Yeah, and no, obviously, you know, the, my main, main goal is to become the greatest of all time. But with that, you have such a great opportunity. You have an opportunity to be a role model. You have an opportunity where people actually listen to you when you speak. You know, opportunity to be here and be able to shed some light. So um, that's what it's all about as well. You know, getting to a point where people will listen to you. Kids can would listen to you. And you have something special to share to help them along the road. And maybe uh, help them cut some of the corners that you had to go through. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's all about giving back and, um, and helping out the best. That's, that's what I'm done. Thank you again, Chris, Ray. Excellent.